0: Amen. If you love Mount Hermon, would you just make some noise in this place? And we thank God. Since it's the culmination of our time together in God's word, I've asked Jason and the worship team, as we sit in God's word and as we finish our time together, that we would cap it off with worship today. Um, That we would just spend some time in response. And in many ways, that's what's inspired um, my closing thoughts with you. Um, It has been an absolute joy and a blessing to be here um, and to get to know the families and just the little grabs, whether on the walkway or at the table at lunchtime. I've enjoyed getting to hear your stories and what God's doing in you. And it is an encouragement to me. Um, and an encouragement to our family. I will go home, and one of the things I'll debrief with my wife for some of the stories that were shared. Um, because while I'm here, she's there, um, and it takes both of us to make it happen. So I will pass on your greetings and your blessings and your encouragement to her and the kids. Um, so that way, they know Dad just wasn't sitting at the beach smoking cigarettes all weekend, all week. Um, <laughs> That's so what I did the week before last, but not this week. No, I'm just I'm just kidding I'm I I'm just kidding, I am i am just kidding i was not at the beach. Um I I I'm doing something today that I normally don't do. Um, um, not only that, but I'm 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 thankful because um, man, Phil just I'll just never look at Ruth The Moabitess. I'll never look at her the same. If Phil blessed you with the book of Ruth, would you just thank God (laughs) for him? Just, oh my goodness, Uh, just a a blessing. There you go, Phil, just a blessing. Um, So thankful for him, and after our time together, I will leave and um, go back home and relieve my wife. I will check in. My wife will have a diaper bag waiting on me, and some formula and say, I'm out here. So I will leave as soon as I get done today and head back to go relieve and be with, my, uh, with our family. So thank you guys so much for a great week um, in God's word. Today, I um, um, I was praying about our church and the Lord gave me a message for our church. Um, but I've been on the road all summer. I hadn't gotten a chance to give it to him yet. So I start this message with them this weekend, but I want to give it to y'all before I give it to them. Um, God pours into us so significantly through His Word, and it amazes me how quickly we tend to kind of move on. So the Lord said, "Albert, I'm gonna." The Lord gave me three responses that if we put these three things in practice. I think it'll change um, our spiritual formation and landscape and expedite the things that God wants to do in our life. So, for our closing session, I want to give you three practices. Three practices. I want to give you three pictures, three glimpses. Uh, I want to take you to three different passages in the scripture. But I want to give you three practices that if your family, if your marriage, if you do these three things on a regular basis, it will bless your life. It will bless your life. It's not enough just to come to camp and have this great week and not go home with a strategy or a plan to carry on some new rhythms. Everybody say rhythms. So I want to give you some new rhythms. Um, and As I've been praying for our church, I want our church to begin to practice these rhythms as well. The first one, we saw it the, first, the second day in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. Um, you can go there. Um, I want to take you to that place where God asked them the question, where are you? Remember when we talked about that? And remember I said that God asked you the question not because he had lost them and didn't know where they were. He asked them the question to give them an opportunity to tell the truth about where they were. Ah. First thing I want to talk about is what does it mean for you on a regular basis to practice telling the truth about where you are. I think we've created a culture where we're so comfortable with not being honest about what's really going on with us. Not telling the truth about what's really happening. There was sin and bitterness that happened that kicked up. There was a little hatred, there was anger, there was a little wrath that kicked up at work on Tuesday and you didn't even talk about it. Well, where do you think that went? Do you think it just disappeared? No, it's still there, and you need to start telling the truth about it. Your husband did something 79 hours ago, and he thinks it's over. It is not. You've tucked it away in a reserve tank, and you're going to bring it up three months from now. And you're going to be very frustrated when he's looking like, I don't know what you're talking about, and then that's going to anger you even more. Well, he won't. Because we've created cultures where we just hold things and we don't hear the word is. We don't confess often. So when did confession lose its practice in the Christian journey. Confession is a very, it is good for the soul. So why aren't we confessing sin more often? Why aren't we sitting down with our partner or with our, with our spiritual community and say, hey, I got some sins I want to confess. Do you hear how foreign that sounds? That just sounds weird. Just hearing that, some of y'all are like, oh, who wants to go to that meeting? You know what I mean? <laughs> no, we need to have a regular practice where once a week we sit down and say, Lord, let me just tell the truth about where I am. Let me just tell the truth about where I am. Because contrary to popular belief, you can't have... T- True worship begins with Truth. True worship begins with truth. Uh, jump to, jump to um, the book of John, uh, chapter 4, with the woman at the well. She says, give me the water. He says, all right, go get your husband. She says, I have no husband. He says, you're right. As a matter of fact, you've had one, two, three, four, five. The man you're sleeping with now, number six, is not your husband. She was like, okay. Uh, okay. In other words, he was teaching her I'm I'm about to usher you into a place of real worship. And I'm going to give you a vision of what true worship is. But true worship has to tell the truth about where you are so you can begin to then accept the invitation of where God is. I'm going to say that again. That was good. You come in and we say, Lord, come where I am. And he says, I want to come to where you are. Because if you try to come to where he is, you're going to have to lie. Because there's some weeks, no, I'm not ready to give Thanksgiving in the temple. I'm ready to give cussings out in the parking lot. You, you know what I'm saying? That's just not where I am, Lord. I have got some doubts. I saw some on the news, It frustrated me. I'm angry, I'm insecure. I'm discouraged. There's sometimes so we need to open up with worship, with confession, and say, "Let me just tell the truth about where I am." The black church I grew up in in southern Southern Mississippi, um, we would have altar calls, not at the end of service, but at the beginning, because folks was carrying stuff from the whole week, and ain't no points in getting the choir up here and the worship team trying to work something in you if you ain't had the time to tell the truth about where you are. Our starting point is off. Doesn't that make sense? So now they're like, come on, let's praise the Lord. And you're like, oh, my God, that is the last thing I want to do right now because I'm still upset about what you said in the car, but I ain't going to talk about it because I know it's going to come up three months from now and such and such. <laughs> so we just have altar prayer at the beginning, and we'd start service with folks just coming down saying, this is the burden I'm carrying. This is what I got. My aunt's got cancer, and I just need to pray for a healing. And once you can confess that, Now you can begin to lift up your eyes and say, okay, now, Lord, let me invite you in. And then God in worship, he's inviting us to where he is. He's saying, so now that we've acknowledged where you are, let me bring you to a place where that peace that I give you will pass all understanding. Do you understand what I'm saying? What would happen in your marriage if y'all set a time and just confess to one another where you are on a regular basis? What would happen to your life group community if you sat down and said, y'all, let's, we just, let's just have a time of confession. We've done this at our church. We did this at our church. We all had an open mic confession. Open mic confession. And we've done it twice. And we still got people that come to church. <laughs> people confess powerful things. People confess having an abortion and still carrying guilt and shame. One lady confessed to overeating. And she said, it, it gets the best of me. The next time when we did Confession Sunday, a year later, that same lady got up to confess again. She says, This time I, don't, I, I just want to confess that God has been faithful. I've lost over 85 pounds since the last time we did this because that confession freed me up now. I told the truth about where I was. Now I can be invited to the place where God wants me to be. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? the power of confession. Now, before you go to your church and starts recommending it, let me just tell you, that's some risk you take, that's some risk. Uh, my friend did it at his church and a lady got up and she confessed that a spaceship uh, came and abducted her and the pilot of the spaceship was Michael Jackson and he took her away um, and then brought her back, um, which was really awkward. They had to take the mic from her, but I think the worst part about that whole story is when it came for the benediction, the band started playing Beat It. Um, <laughs> This is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. So, the first thing I want you to take away is to say, "Family, what does it mean for us to practice confession?" And it's not always sin. It's just 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 telling the truth about where you are, honey. Where are you today? Where are you this week? Where are you? I'm I'm excited. I'm, in, I'm I got a peace. I'm discouraged. I'm, I'm I'm I feel a spirit of lust on me. I feel. I feel like I need to go get a drink. Just, be, be, just tell the truth about where you are. Stop showing up in worship, expecting God to do amazing things, and you're sitting in a place of inauthentic- inauthenticity. You're not being honest about where you are, so how can God really heal you from where you are? Do you, do you understand? Does that make sense? So tell the truth about where you are. Number two, there's a passage... Uh, in John chapter 11, I, I don't have time to go there and read it, but just mark that down, go there. I know we got uh, Dallas folks, so it's, it's in the Bible. Trust me, we just ain't got time to read it right now, all right? Phil, walk through the Bible, so you walk through it and you'll bump into it. Uh, <laughs> John, John 11, Lazarus is dying, but he's friends with Jesus. And Mary and Martha have seen Jesus heal so many other people. So him dying, Jesus, this is nothing for Jesus. Call Jesus and have Jesus come. Jesus gets the message but doesn't come. As a matter of fact, he doesn't show up. Lazarus gets sicker. He doesn't show up. Lazarus dies. He doesn't show up. They do the funeral. Jesus still doesn't show up. Four days late, here comes Jesus walking up with the disciples. Oh, they let him have it. They let him have it. First thing they say, he ain't even get on the ground good. He says, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. The tension is high. The frustration is high. Jesus looks at them with the tension and frustration and he says, show me where you laid him. Show me where you gave up on me coming back. Show me where you stopped believing that my sovereignty and my power could do the miraculous. Show me where you put the tomb over him and said, it's over, even Jesus can't do this now. Show me where you gave up. And he goes to that place and then he weeps. Now, different theologians have different reasons of why he wept. Um, Some say he wept because of their disappointment and their lack of faith in him. He saw them and he saw their lack of faith and he wept at his friends who were close to him and their inability to believe him. Because let's be honest, some of us believe Jesus to a point. But then there's some situations when crisis comes where we just don't even think Jesus could do it. And our belief is conditional on God. So Jesus weeps and he sits there and cries. Other theologians would argue that he's crying because he's so intimately connected to the pain and the emotion of his friends that seeing them cry made him cry. Some of y'all know what that's like. If you just see somebody else cry, it's like a little tear duck will crawl up in your face and they turn your thing on and you just start crying. It's like, what's wrong with you? There's nothing. You just started crying. So I just started crying. And then we all crying. Oh my God. Some people say he cried because he saw the affection. I I think it's a little bit of both. Um, But I also, I'm also a little cynical. I also think, We know what's about to happen next because we had the privilege of reading the story. Jesus, you about to raise him from the dead. So why are you wasting time crying over something that you about to fix? If you just cut out the crying and fix it, we could probably save two verses. (laughs) We could have saved a little paper. You know what I'm saying? Like, save a tree, Jesus. Let's get this over with. Let's raise him up. No, I think it's something powerful about... Having a God that although I'm about to fix it on the other side, I'm willing to cry with you on this side. Because sometimes you need to know that you got a God who will sit with you. Even if your faith is disappointing, he'll still cry with you. He gets up, he wipes the tears, and he says, and here's the line. Roll the stone away. Now there are several problems here. <laughs> Number one, it's interesting to me. Their first problem isn't they don't even get the possibility of their brother coming back alive. The biggest thing they worried about is the smell. Anybody married to somebody like that? It's like this. Oh, I mean, he might come back alive, but oh, the smell! Like they're worried about the odor. Not only are they worried about the odor, but I'd imagine, uh, I've been to Israel. Yo, that's a big tomb. Um, roll the stone away. It ain't no easy task. It took us four days to get everybody to get that thing over there. I mean, this is not a, it's not easy to move. This is a big stone. Part of them, I'd imagine they are thinking, I mean, my cynical mind, I shouldn't think like this, but I'm thinking, Jesus, um, You got the power to raise him from the dead? Um, Ain't you got the power to roll this stone away? (laughs) Like, could you save us some energy and time? You can just, if you about to just speak to Lazarus and he gonna get up, can't you just speak to that stone and the stone be like, oh, oh, okay, Jesus. Oh, oh, and just roll on out the way like that? Like, (laughs) isn't that possible? Well, I think, um, I think Jesus' attitude is I'm going to do what only I can do, but I need you to do what only you can do. Um, If you don't like that plan, how about this? Um, I roll the stone away, and you raise him from the dead. You want to do that? That's what I thought. All right, well, you roll the stone away, and I'll do that. I guess the thing is, Jesus is saying, I'm about to raise a dead thing and bring it to life. I'm about to do something amazing. But I need you to participate. And before I raise the dead thing and do this amazing thing, I need you to move the stone away because I'm going to do something behind the stone. But in order for me to get to behind the stone, I need you to move the stone. You get it early. I, I, can, I can catch this plane. Are y'all, he's, God is saying there's some dead things in your life that I want to raise. There's some places in your life that stink and you've done a good job of covering the smell and you thought your strategy was, let me just not go there. Let me just says, no, I want to raise it. But before I can raise it, I need you to move the stone. I need you to move the hardened place so that I can go there. I need you to move the stone. I need you to participate. I think we go to service after service and listen to sermon after sermon, and you allow the word of God to come. God has spoken so many things in your heart this week, but by the time you get to the gas station and gas up for the first time or the first bathroom stop that'll happen in the first five minutes of the trip, although you said everybody go to the bathroom, everybody said they did, but all of a sudden, inevitably, somebody's got to pee. So... By the time you get down there, the words that God has placed, the enemy is going to be snatching it up. So much so when you get home, you won't even remember what the talk was. Ah, Ruth and Albert, is, he's a little random all over the place. It's just, you know. No. God says, there's some things that I'm whispering, that I'm speaking to you, that I need you to name. And I need you to participate. And I need you to name the stone. And then roll the stone. Second practice is naming. I believe that the Holy Spirit is whispering in your ear this week areas that you need to work on. Things about you that he wants to show you. Here's the big question I want you to ask every time you sit under the word of God. Every time you go to church, every time you sit in your devotional weekly, what would it mean for you to ask yourself, what does the Holy Spirit want me to do? That's the question. What does the Holy Spirit want me to do? God's going to do the miraculous. He's going to raise the dead. He's going to bring the life. He's going to bring the regeneration. He's going to bring the redemption in my life. His blood's going to do the work. But what does he want me to do? How does he want me to participate in the gospel work that's happening in my life? So make it a regular practice of asking the question, what does he want me to do? Holy Spirit, I've been here at Mount Hermon for a week. What do you want me to do? What stone do I need to roll away? I've heard message after message, and I've thought about my marriage. I thought about my parenting. I thought about me being a single mom. It's me being a single dad. I have thought about being a single person, young adult. I've been thinking about my life in the season. Of M. Now, Holy Spirit, before I leave, take some moments and say, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? And just begin to write down what you want me to do. What he wants you to do. Lest you get home and Mount Herman just become a great memory of a bunch of pictures, cool, fun moments, and some great services, but you didn't take away anything that then shapes what he wants you to do next. We didn't come just to inspire you and make you feel good and, and pray some prayers and then go home and go back in the same rhythms. No. Holy Spirit, You've been speaking to me all week. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? You ask that question every week. I'm telling you to change your life. Tell the truth about where you are. And begin to name the things that the Holy Spirit wants you to do. So it's twofold. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? And then you name it. Because once you give it a name, it's hard for the enemy to snatch it out your hand. Holy Spirit, Albert, I want you to get... I want you to get healthier. I want you to think about the next 40, 50 years of your life, and I want you to get healthier. That's what the Holy Spirit wants me to do. I need to write that down and just say it out loud. Just saying it out loud then holds me accountable. It provides a dynamic that I've got to work with, makes it easy for the enemy to set, set it up for me to ignore it. The Holy Spirit has whispered stuff like that to you already how you need to speak to your wife. You confess, I sound like the serpent when I talk to my wife. Name that. Say, I sound like the serpent when I talk to my wife. You write that down. Oh, it shapes how you talk to your wife. The last thing you want to do is to have that name come back on you. Does that make sense? Do y'all understand that? So confession, tell the truth about where you are, and then naming it. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? This last one, and I got to do this quick. This last one. I was sitting down with a young lady that worked with the Willow Creek Reveal Project. Now, the Willow Creek Reveal Project was this big project they did as this big influential church that impacted hundreds of thousands of people across the world. Um, they did a test, a study, a research project to see if their discipleship programs were producing disciples, if they were producing spiritually mature. Uh, Believers, and what they discovered is that their programs were not what they were doing, it was not producing long term spiritual maturity, spiritual fruit in the way that they thought it was. Okay, in the way that they thought it was, so then they went deeper and said, Well, for those that are experiencing high levels of spiritual maturity. What are the attributes? What what produces it? So if you do this, it produces high spiritual maturity. What are those things? Because we need to be doing it. Interesting thing is they use the secular non-Christian company just to do this the, the, the data work, to do the data work, to do the surveys. And sh- this lady I'm talking to, Mindy, she says, I'm sitting in a meeting. And um, this secular, non-Christian guy is just looking at the data, and he's giving a report on the data. Y'all do what you want to with the data, but he's just looking at the data. And he says, as I look at the data, the people that do this, man, the people that practice this right here, off-the-chart spiritual maturity. Like, it results in high-level spiritual maturity. The people that practice A, the every people that do A, as a matter of fact, so much so, the guy said this in the meeting. He says... I'm not a Christian. I'm not a pastor. But if I was a pastor, I wouldn't let one Sunday go by where I didn't talk about this. Because it's such a game changer in spiritual maturity that I talk about this every single week. Y- y'all y'all want to know what it is? <laughs> like if you do this, they said the ch- it was consistent, like high level. He said, I wouldn't let a Sunday go by where I didn't talk about it in some shape, form, or fashion because it had that much of an impact. <sighs> we'll have to finish next year. I've got to go. Um, <laughs> God, thank you for this time. Um, no, I'm just. He said, The thing that I would talk about every week that produces high levels of spiritual maturity is forgiveness forgiveness the people that practice forgiveness on a regular basis spiritual maturity off the charts what would it mean for you to ask the question every week who do I need to forgive where does forgiveness need to show up in my life and watch this where do I need to receive forgiveness because because, come on, let's be honest. Sometimes the hardest person to forgive is ourselves. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, we see it. That's the third scripture, by the way. I hadn't had you read it, but I've given you three passages. All right, this is a very biblical talk. I don't want to hear no drama. I don't want no emails. In the Lord's Prayer, there's a line that we jump over that I need you to pay attention to. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's a tricky line. It's a dangerous one. It's one that I wish was reworded somehow. You know how sometimes you can hear it in the Greek and it means something else? This ain't one of them. (laughs) I look for it, y'all. I'm telling you. I was like, Lord, there's got to be a loophole in here somewhere. I couldn't find one. He says, your forgiveness from God... The dynamic and the flow of it will, will be shaped and formed and fueled by your ability to extend forgiveness to others. And it's not because he's like, nope, I ain't going to forgive you unless you forgive them. No, it's not like that. I don't think that's the heart of it. I think the heart of it is you don't have room for the, to receive forgiveness from God because you're so filled with unforgiveness for other people you don't have capacity so God is saying I want to give you this grace I want to give you this forgiveness I want to forgive you but you can't receive it because you're holding on to it y'all y'all not y'all not getting it let me come here sir can I can, can you can you help me out sir uh and you sir will you can help me out wait come here help, help, yeah. this is a, a true story um uh wait you you stand here look look here you stand here. Take a, step back. take a step back. There you go. There you go. My mom at when I was twenty one divorced my dad. In this illustration, you're gonna be my dad. Um was, he wasn't Asian though, but I, <laughs> uh, if it was, I would have been a bla bla I would have been Bla-Asian. um Um my mom divorced my dad um after just just serial infidelity Um, and I remember I was 21 years old um, when she did it Um, matter of fact um, a sermon I preached inspired her to gave her the courage to actually do it you don't talk about putting your son in therapy for several years Um, and there was a season when she was so bitter so angry so frustrated with her experience, rightfully so. And she had a, a disdain and a hatred for my dad. And I would forget one day she just called me spontaneously. We're just talking. And she says, Oh, by the way, I forgave your dad. Uh huh? She went from a, a, a store run at Walmart to now, I forgave your dad. And I was like, What 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 did he do? Oh, he ain't do nothing. I ain't talked to him in I don't know how long. I said, Well, what are you what are you talking about? I forgave She's like, You know, uh God's just been doing so much in me. I just didn't have room to carry that unforgiveness anymore. So this is, this is what she's saying. Jesus began to show up in my life, and he began to just pour into me love and compassion. And the more I focused on Jesus, the less I had capacity to focus here to the point to where this was so consuming. This was so fulfilling. I had gotten so close to Jesus. I had gotten so close to Jesus, and I was, so, I was so consumed and so fulfilled in this loving relationship, the power that it took to turn around and to harbor, I couldn't, I didn't even have, I couldn't even, I couldn't even focus on that, so I'm so satisfied here, there's no room for unforgiveness, I don't have room for it. Because I'm so fulfilled in the presence of the greatness of the glory of God. And he's so sufficient in his abundance. I don't have room for the deficiency of unforgiveness in my life. Y'all can clap better than that. That was pretty good. (laughs) Do, Do you understand what I'm saying? So I'm saying every week practice forgiveness. And this is how you practice forgiveness. It's not saying apologize. Tell me why you did that. So what's wrong with you? Why you say that to me? Why you do that? That, that Notice, forgiveness didn't have nothing to do with this person. How do I practice forgiveness? By not even focusing here. but saying, God, they hurt me. Tell the truth about where you are. I hate that Asian dude. He ticked me off. Can't believe he said that to me. No good so-and-so. Tell the truth about where you are. Confess that. And said, no, Lord, I need you to bring me to where you are. Because I can't stay in this place of bitterness. So God, he ain't done nothing but stand there and be Asian. That's all he's done. He ain't done nothing else. What would be so weird is if we get afterwards and he'd be like, actually, brother, I'm, I'm, I'm Latino. Um, <laughs> sorry, you completely, uh, you completely misappropriated my ethnicity. Um, and it hurt my feelings. I'm sorry. Um, what happens is. How we practice forgiveness weekly is turning away from the bitterness, acknowledging it, naming it, but then saying, Lord, I need you to fill in me what that broken relationship left, left a gap in me. So I'm sustained. Come on. I'm sustained. (laughs) And then both arms. There you go. I'm so sustained in the presence. So now even when I see him, I don't see him through my lens i see him through the grace of god and when i see him through the grace of god it allows me not to see the person that harmed me but i can see god's grace is so sufficient that i am whole without him saying a word to me and i can see him not through evil but through grace do you understand what i'm saying we we might not go for coffee tomorrow do you understand what i'm saying forgiveness and reconciliation are two completely different things that's completely that's a different conversation i'm talking about forgiveness so now i can be free reconciliation requires a two of us coming together we ain't there yet you, you does that make sense you understand what i'm saying but what does it mean for me to weekly practice the presence of god and say, the no, lord as as you're in my presence and as we're here is there anything that i need to forgive because I can't receive all of your love that you have for me if I'm withholding it and not extending that grace in other places. Does that make sense? You ever, are you okay? You are, are you comfortable, huh? You ever been this close to a black man before? No, but I like it. You know what they say, once you go black. No, I'm just playing, all right, y'all yeah, yeah, have a seat. Thank you guys, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Jason and the team are going to come up. As they come up, would you begin to prepare your heart and soul now to begin to think? And let's have a response time now. During the worship, some of you need to write something down. Some of you may need to make make some notes in your phone. Whatever you need to do, let's consecrate this time and let's take a few moments and hear the questions. I'm going to give them to you again. Confession. Where are you? And what does it mean for you to tell the truth about where you are? Number two, naming. What does the Holy Spirit want you to do? God's going to do what he does. But what if he's waiting on you to do what only you can do, and that's remove the stone? Where's the stone you need to move? Maybe all this time you've been thinking you was waiting on God, and maybe God's saying, no, I'm waiting on you. Lazarus can come up as soon as I say his name, but he can be in there alive. But if you hadn't moved the stone, then you still want to experience freedom. That was good. Holy Spirit, as I get ready to leave Mount Hermon, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to respond? And it usually looks like you surrendering something. To all you doers in the room that want to just go and do and be busy about it. Now, this isn't an invitation to have the Holy Spirit have you be busy. No, it's an invitation to have the Holy Spirit call you to a posture of surrender. What do you want me to remove? What do you want me to pull out of the way? What hard conversation do you want me to have? What sacrificial gift do I need to give because I've been marked with greed and stinginess and I haven't been expressing generosity. And the Holy Spirit wants me to be generous. And moving the stone means I need to write a big check to express the generosity to break it. That, that kind of stuff. That kind of stuff. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? And finally, if God does all of that, but you daily walk on forgiveness, you still missed it. So, Lord, where does forgiveness need to show up in my life? Who do I need to forgive? Where do I need to receive forgiveness? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for a great week. Thank you for all that you've done. Now, Father, as we go home, would you give us some practices that will help us to continue to grow and walk in what you've started here at Mount Hermon? Father, give me the courage and the strength and help me to be brave to tell the truth about where I am. For some of us, we hadn't told the truth about where we are in a long time. Father, help us to put a name to what you're stirring, what you're doing. Name the stone that you want us to move. And finally, Father, take us to that place where the rivers of forgiveness need to flow. They've been stopped up for a long time. And today, may the dam break. and May forgiveness flow. As it flows from the throne of grace, may it flow from the places of my life. We sit in this time, and we worship you. Speak, O Lord. Your children have gathered to listen.